Summer at MMC sometimes makes me really glad that we were told that where two or three are gathered, there God is also with us. So I am really glad that you're all here. I'm glad for those of you who are on Zoom. Um, and I'm glad that sometimes we have more than this here as well. So I just returned from a week at the beach. It was the first vacation that's gone as planned since January 2020, and it was wonderful. Sand between my toes, floating in the salty sea, spending hours eating crabs. I thrilled in letting my email pile up and missing things on social media. It's the kind of vacation that we all need sometimes, and I've preached on this before, the importance of rest, whether it's a vacation, a Sabbath day, or a moment in a packed schedule, rest is important. But of course, while we rest, the world goes on. And the world this past week has seemed particularly heavy. I'm heartsick over the pain in Afghanistan and how the world has changed overnight, particularly for women, girls, and LGBTQ plus people in that country. I think with sadness about Haiti, suffering from another earthquake and tropical storm after a political uprising so recently, and I wonder how the beautiful people I met there are faring. The COVID pandemic goes on unchecked, and our nation's politics are making things infinitely worse. Schools that have opened without masking are closing again within weeks as infections spread. Our hospitals are getting full, and nurses, doctors, respiratory techs, janitors, who are already exhausted, are being asked to do more. Oh, and the planet is literally burning. A new report on climate change showed we may already be past the point of no return to turn things around. And yet we still have elected officials who can't even say that it's real. Into this pain and overwhelming suffering, the words of Paul in Ephesians spoke to me this week in a new way. Previously for me, the passage that was read for us today has always seemed too warlike two onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. I haven't always been sure what to do with a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness. And anyway, doesn't righteousness just seem a little cocky? But digging a little deeper this week, I learned that this armor is not the armor of an offense. It's not the armor of soldiers marching into battle for king country. It's defensive armor, the protection of God wrapping around the persecuted the underdogs, its support to those who need it most. And in addition, this defensive armor is not flowing out of our own already depleted stores of our own puny strength. This armor comes from God, who sent her son Jesus as a guidepost to our lives and is continuing to send the Spirit to surround us with protection. When I think of these pieces of armor in the sense of defensive armor given by God, out of God's infinite stores of love and strength, this passage changes for me. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
powerful protection, powerful love. This feels to me like cool water for a parched throat. This armor is not mine to create. I don't have to seek it out, and I don't have to wield it as a warrior. It's my defense against the evil that is surely coming, that is surrounding us all day, every day. It's yet another way that God is saying, I am with you always. As pacifists, we Mennonites often use other images for God, a mother hen, a moving wind, a gentle friend. And those are good and wonderful images because God is each of those things, caring and loving and patient. But God is also a mama bear, standing her ground when one of her cubs is threatened. God is our defensive armor, protecting us from the danger that is already here. And even if I can't feel the breastplate across my chest, even if I can't lift the sword that's in my hand, it helps to know that God is with me that God is with each one of us, even as the world burns. And Paul, in our passage today, gives us one final instruction. Pray. I'll admit, prayer comes to me less easily than action. Why should I ask God to do something if I'm not willing to pitch in and do it myself? Isn't that a bit of a cop-out? And asking prayers can feel so gimme, 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 sort of like the prosperity gospel that just says, if you pray hard enough and believe hard enough, God will make you rich. Or I'm not going to take the vaccine because God will pull me through if I get sick. And I just can't with that anymore. But I also can't let my frustration at any sort of twisted methods of prayer get in the way of doing what Paul is asking us to do, which is pray. I don't know exactly what prayer does. I know that God already knows about my own fears and worries, and I know that God already knows about the great tragedies unfolding on earth. And I also don't believe that the volume or number of prayers affects whether God listens or not. So why do we bother praying at all? As I was writing this sermon on Wednesday, an email came into my inbox, a weekly writing from Nadia Boltzweber. I've quoted her to you before. She's one of my favorite contemporary Christian writers, a down-to-earth, tattooed, often swearing pastor. She and I were on the same wavelength this week, and she said some things that I had no hope of writing more eloquently. So here's an edited version of her message, minus some of the swear words. I used to live in a very old apartment building with super sketchy electrical wiring. Were I to audaciously assume my hairdryer could run while my stereo was on, I would once again find myself opening the gray metal fuse box next to the refrigerator and flipping the breaker. My apartment had been built at a time when there were no electric hair dryers, and the system shut down when modernity asked too much of it. I think of that fuse box often these days because, friends, I just do not think that our psyches were developed to hold, feel, and respond to everything coming at them right now. Every tragedy, injustice, sorrow, and natural disaster happening to every human across the entire planet in real time every minute of every day. The human heart and spirit were developed to be able to hold, feel, and respond to any tragedy, injustice, sorrow, or natural disaster that was happening in our village. So my emotional circuit breaker keeps overloading because the hardware was built for an older time. And yet, when I check social media, it feels like there are voices saying, 
if you aren't talking about doing something about performatively posting about fill in the blank here, then you are an irredeemably callous, privileged bigot who is part of the problem. And when I am actually someone who does care about human suffering and injustice, it just feel, leaves me feeling like absolute crap. I am left with wondering, am I doing enough, sacrificing enough, giving enough, saying enough about all the horrible things right now to think of myself as a good person and sub subsequently silence the accusing voice in my head? No. The answer is always no. No, I am not, nor could I, because no matter what I do, the goal of enough is just as far away as when I started. And yet doing nothing is hardly the answer, so I wanted to share something with you. Every day of my life, I ask myself three discernment questions. What's mine to do, and what's not mine to do? What's mine to say, and what's not mine to say? And the third one is harder what's mine to care about, and what's not mine to care about. To be clear, that is not to say that it's not worthy to be cared about by someone, only that my effectiveness in this world cannot extend to every worthy to be cared about event and situation. It's not an issue of values, it's an issue of math. So I try and remember, one, we are still living through a global pandemic, and that means the baseline of anxiety and grief is higher than ever and shared by everyone. Two, the world is on fire literally and metaphorically. But three, I only have so much water in my bucket to help with the fires. The more exposure I have to the fires, I have no water to fight. The more likely I am to get so burned and inhale so much smoke that I cannot help anymore with the fires close enough to fight once my bucket is full again. So I try and tell myself that it's okay to focus on one fire. That's enough. I'm not saying we should put our heads in the sand. I'm saying that if your circuits are overwhelmed, there's a reason. And the reason isn't because you're heartless. It's because there is not a human heart on this planet that can bear all of what is happening right now. So thank you for being a person who cares about and responds to animals or the environment or racism or immigration, or domestic violence, or any of the other worthy to be cared about things we are in the midst of right now. Just thank you. So I mean, isn't that amazing? I just couldn't have said it any better, so I wanted to read it from her words. So with those words of Weber and Paul's Mama Vera voice of God still in our ears, I want to leave you with some things that you can do. We're in back-to-school season, when we often put together MCC school kits. This year, MCC is actually calling more urgently for relief kits, so we're going to do those instead. But you can also buy more school supplies, because we're going to respond to needs within Milwaukee Public Schools by supporting their school supply drive as well. Both and, because God doesn't choose. And I'll send an email out with more links for information. And I'm also going to hand out a list with ideas for responses to other crises that are making headlines. These are just ideas. You know the status of your own bucket and how much water you have for putting out fires. You know what you care about and what you have energy for. But sometimes we just need to know where to start. God loves us. God weeps with us over injustice. God is constantly offering us strength and love and energy. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith. Pray, pray, pray. God is with you. 
God loves you always. I'd like to close with an edited prayer that Nadia Boltzweber sent along with her essay this week. Please pray with me. Dear God, I am sad to inform you that the planet is on fire and there's a global pandemic that goes on and on and takes more and more from us. Haiti has been decimated once again and Afghanistan is looking doomed and last week some scientists said some pretty depressing stuff about our planet. It's all a bit much right now. I don't want to feel numb, but sometimes I do, except for when I'm having random level nine responses to level two situations. Please just show me what is mine to do because otherwise I will feel horrible for not doing everything or callous for just doing nothing. So give me grace for myself and others. Also, everyone is understaffed right now, so grant me patience with every clerk and delivery driver and customer service rep. Help me to know when there is water in my bucket and which fire to throw it on, but also to know when to wait because I am on empty. Help me to trust that you will give me what I am to give away and to not feel like I must carry water for everyone else. And when all I can do is stop during the day and place my hand on my heart and hold all these heavy realities up to you, may it count as prayer. I guess what I'm saying, Lord, is please show us some mercy and help us to show the same mercy to ourselves and to others. Amen.